All right, you guys, here we go. It's episode number 87 of the Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios, and we want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. Uh, Ron just got done with his, what'd you do? A seven, you went on a seven-mile hike, is that right? Well, I don't know if it's a hike, it's an urban hike, a seven-mile walk, and I actually am, am out and about now. You sent me an article two days ago that said, CDC now recommends cloth masks everywhere, so I have a mask. And I wore gloves uh, to walk around. And it's interesting to see. So I basically just walked around Seattle. I walked down to the sculpture park and I walked along the waterfront down by all the piers. And then I walked up by the Space Needle and, and through Seattle Center and just all around those places. And so homeless people not wearing masks. That's not a big surprise. Uh, you'll see most pedestrians as they're walking. I'd say about 50-50 now have either a mask or like a balaclava or a bandana or something, because they are thicker uh, around their face. And then it's it's very common now to see this. There was a Macarena coffee was open, so I went in there wearing my mask. And when I'm within six feet of anybody, I just have that mask on now. I had to go to Fred Meyer at Home Depot, wore the mask and the gloves the entire time. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. The mask and the gloves and the CDC saying, now, this is something you should be doing. I handed a mask to a friend of mine the other day, Ron, and he said, well, why do I have to wear this? And I said, you don't have to wear it. And he said, well, what are the benefits of wearing a mask? Uh, In your mind's eye, when you put a mask on today, uh, it seems like there's some confusion about this. Why did you wear a mask today? Well, I wore the mask because I just read a story in the newspaper this morning in the Sunday paper. Uh, We're recording this on a Sunday before the Monday show that they just have conducted a study in California. And it was with 11 uh, COVID patients that were cooped up in a room. So they were isolated, quarantined in a room. All of them had tested positive. They found uh, virus RNA just in the ambient air. So just by breathing and vaporizing the, the breath, they, they call it an aerosol. Your, your aerosol of, a, of the breath that you exhale with a little bit of moisture in there, um, that the virus can be in that. And so they, and not, they're not saying that it's contagious necessarily. They're doing some peer-reviewed studies on it, but it's the first study that they've done where it's like, yeah, these people weren't coughing. Uh, we were outside of the six-foot radius, but they were in a, confi- a confined space just breathing. And so there was RNA of the virus there. So for me, it's two things. One, it really reminds me to not touch my face because I am a face toucher. And I like to touch my nose. I touch my eyes. I have a lifelong hay fever person. So I'm always sort of picking at my nose and my eyes and just rubbing uh, because they, they get irritated a lot. And so it helps me to not do that. And then also... Um, It just makes sense when you look at the worldwide statistics, the mask-wearing countries have a fewer fewer deaths, fewer infections, fewer cases. And so I know that the the common logic up until two days ago was that if you're infected, it's keeping your infection in. Uh, But I think the logic also applies that if I'm walking around like I was today, if there is an ambient infection, it's less likely to get into my lungs if I'm wearing a mask. Yeah, I think when you have a mask on, you, you make some great points. I think it does make you more mindful. Uh, I even When I touch my face a lot, I do it in the car. And so I was in the car the other day actually delivering masks, if you can believe <laughs> that. And 
And I put the mask on because I it it just just like it does for you, Ron. It just reminds me of to be mindful. Or if I put gloves on, disposable gloves on when I go in a store. I make sure that I dispose of those gloves when I come out of the store before I get back to my car. Because if you don't dispose of the gloves, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. See, this is what I was wondering. Uh, when the CDC came out with this recommendation that all of us should be wearing masks, I began to wonder that if hospitals, for instance, or doctor's offices or paramedics or first responders, second responders, I was beginning to wonder if there would be a shortage of masks. And I got this email. It was sent to me this morning by a nurse who works at Children's Hospital. She's a respiratory nurse. And she says uh, she talked a little bit about what it's like being in the hospital. But then she also reached out and contacted me because she saw the article in the Seattle Times about the Refugee Artists Initiative and some of the ladies that we are working with right now that are making these masks uh, and she wanted to know if we could reach out to this particular doctor's office. She says, uh, dear Ron and Don, I do know of a pediatric office right now. It's close to me. They are seeing and treating sick kids that have uh, COVID-19. Uh, they are on their last box of masks with nothing more to come. I take my boys there. I'm going to see what I can get from my hospital donations. But do you know of anyone uh, that would be making masks right now? Uh, and then they tell me where they're at. They're in Fircrest, Washington. They're treating kids there. There's about seven physicians, three nurses, uh, and then 10 other staff members and two amazing folks out at the reception desk. This is, this was my concern is that the folks that are on the front lines, we know there's not enough 95 masks for them. And we have also found out as we've gone on this journey of making thousands of masks and handing these out up in Bellingham or Evergreen out in Monroe or the UW Medical Center, the Valley Medical Center that I visited last Friday, or now there's some police departments now that we are making masks for. Uh, when this recommendation came out, a store that I shop in every day, the guys that owned me in that store, uh, owned, that, owned that store came to me and they said, hey, could you help me find a mask? So the concern that I have is that folks in the medical community aren't going to have these masks. They are on the front lines. And even though the masks that we're making are cotton masks and they're washable masks, uh, it's better than nothing. And here we have a doctor's office saying, hey, we're on our last box of masks. What's going to happen next? Uh, Ron, was that a concern for you? No, I mean, to me, they're, they're two separate issues. Uh, if we're just, if you and I as citizens are just going to, to Fred Meyer or Ken's Market, uh, I think having the mask does a couple of things. One is you're communicating to other people in your community, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to the news. I'm paying attention to the latest and greatest information. And I am concerned with the health of my community. That's what I, when I see someone, like there was a dude in Home Depot that was your like macho construction, walking along, like all the, the telltale signs of like a guy that thinks he's invincible. It's like, dude, you're just not paying attention. Like you are not paying attention. Uh, I, I, so it's sending that message. And I think that, I think that everybody knows the priority of healthcare workers. And it seems like now that China, we're getting anecdotal evidence of, of China reopening their economy, that we're going to get some shipments 
of these N95 masks for medical workers. I have several people in my life that work in shipping and, and item procurement. And so I've heard a couple different stories that they are seeing some shipments of that ready to, to be delivered. So that's, are you hearing that at all as well? No, I, what I'm hearing is the next two weeks are critical. And the next two weeks, it, it, it's kind of interesting because the president said, and I don't know if he's just being a good politician or where he got these numbers from, and no one can figure out where he got the numbers from, that there'd be 100,000 to 240,000 Americans that were going to die as a result of the 19. Now, he didn't say that was over the course of 10 years or 10 minutes. We don't understand the time frame. Many people uh, have we said don't, Yeah, we don't understand the science behind it. And if there is science behind it, or if it's a political move, because Bill Gates now uh, has come out and said that even though uh, what is happening around the world is horrendous right now, uh, he thinks that number, not significant, it won't be significantly less, but it will be less than 100,000 people if we really focus on staying home over the course of the next two weeks. So it's great that those 95 masks are coming and they'll be here in a couple months from now. They're not going to be here over the course of these next two weeks. And for what I'm hearing, uh, this will determine, uh, it will determine what this particular virus is going to do. I think specifically in the United States, because as we look at other places, especially in Asia, when they say they're locking it down, they're locking it down. What we've learned here is when we say lock it down, 40% of the people still do whatever the hell they want to do. Uh, that's not locking it down. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's very, very difficult. If you see the photographs coming out of Italy where you get stopped by an armed police officer uh, who is geared up, but you, you have to have a, a reason, documented reason to be out of your house. Uh, I think that, and that's the other thing that we talked about a little bit in the last episode, but just to remind people, how you interpret data right now is really helpful to your mental health and to how you interact with your family and friends. Um, because the thing that I heard on that 100,000 plus information is if you didn't flatten the curve. And so it's, it's used as the outer boundary of if we all behave badly. If we flatten the curve, we can keep it under that number. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the way we think about the data, the way that we think about those graphs, the way that we explain it can either build fear and play into fear or, you know, inspire us to do a little bit better and keep things tighter. But it's, I was thinking about you specifically because you are always have been a super active guy and always day in and day out. You like to go run, you're outside, you're running errands. You uh, just, you're, you're that guy that's always moving. Uh, has this been incredibly hard for you? Like more than you thought it would be? Um, no, it's, it's not. And, um, I, I think when you start your day, and you're just thankful for stuff. Um, and I've just, I've just had too many other things uh, that I've been exposed to in my own life and where I watched humans suffer. And I had a front row seat to watch a uh, human suffer. Uh, so, so no, I'm, I, 
I'm very, very grateful for my home. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful today for my health and for my son. I'm just, I'm coming from a place of just being grateful. So I'm not angry about it. I'm not mad. I still can go out and and go on a trail run. I have some weights in my basement and you just, you, you figure it out. So uh, the last time I had to cut my own hair is, you know, 15 years ago when you and I went through a storm in the Gulf South, uh, and I cut my hair <laughs> for almost six months. So I, I, I feel very, very fortunate that for a lot of us, we still have all the creature comforts and we still have each other. Um, and the people that I feel awfully sorry for, I feel awfully sorry for are the folks that are saying goodbye to their family members over FaceTime because uh, they can't go and see them. Their family members are older. A lot of them are in places and spaces now where, where the family is not allowed to visit. Uh, and it's where the disease is spread real fast when it comes to seniors specifically. And those are the gut-wrenching stories for me is – is when I see folks saying goodbye to each other over FaceTime or you hear of people dying alone. That gets to me. And then the other thing that I'm very, very appreciative, so appreciative of this, uh, is that this hasn't taken a tremendous uh, toll on kids. Um, And I get really emotional, I think, about that and specifically about my son and my boy and protecting him. so, but no, Ron, I, I, I come from a place of just, just being really, really grateful uh, and really grateful for uh, this community and the people that we have and, and all those healthcare workers that are on the front lines right now with, without protection. Uh, that's where I spend a lot of my energy and, and that's why we've been making thousands of masks with the Refugee Artists Initiative. And uh, we're going to make thousands more. So we appreciate people hitting us up on that GoFundMe page. There's a great article about the Refugee Artist Initiative in the Seattle Times. We appreciate the Seattle Times picking up that story. And I just want to encourage people, if you have a medical mask that maybe you don't need, uh, there are a lot of hospitals now, and this is really unusual for hospitals. Uh, UW uh, Valley Medical Center, for instance, they have kind of a wish list. And then they have a drop-off center there where you can go, and you don't have to go into the bowels of the hospital. You just stop by, and they have a tent set up, and you can drop some items off that they are looking for. I also want to encourage people, if you don't have an avenue to find a mask for yourself right now, you can make a mask out of a T-shirt. And I would just encourage you, go on YouTube, Google making a mask out of a T-shirt, and there are some pretty cool masks right now uh, that are being made by folks all over the country. So if you have a T-shirt, uh, you can create and you can make a mask. So, hey, let's do this. Uh, we are live from the Let's Schwab Studios. Thanks for stopping by, you guys, for episode number 87. Uh, we come back. We're going to talk about something called an immunity passport. And then also, I wrote some really horrible COVID-19 uh poems i wrote a poem <laughs> have, have you have you I read my for the dramatic reading have you read my poem i did is it supposed uh, to rhyme or is it not supposed to rhyme you know you're all about you think everything's supposed to rhyme and not rhyme and and you and i look at this very differently so all right let's see i can't wait to hear it 
So I wrote some really bad COVID-19. I, I wrote a bad 19 poem and I wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and share it today. So uh, coming up, immunity. Yeah, immunity. COVID-19 immunity. Uh, what is that? And what is an immunity passport? Let's talk about it next. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. It's episode number 87. And uh, Ron, what is this immunity passport or a passport that gives you immunity? What, what is this? This is an idea, and it, it screams of George Orwell's 1984 to me. Uh, and it's coming out of Italy, and they've actually been discussing it a little bit in New York as well, is developing a rapid test to see if you have the antibodies uh, to COVID-19 and taking people that are recovered and or immune that were, you know, maybe they carried the virus and were asymptomatic and now have these antibodies, and that we put them back to work. And so you would have your workforce be divided into people that get a COVID-19 immunity passport and those that do not. And so if you're in the do not camp, you have to shelter in place, you have to stay in your house, you cannot enter the workforce. Let's take Boeing, for instance. So if this plan, if you're if you're in Italy, this is what they'd be talking about. You have 70,000 Boeing workers. Some people have died that are Boeing employees. They would and they don't even have this test finalized yet. You still have to they have to do this with manual blood work to look at for antibodies. But let's say they can develop a test quickly. You would take the 70,000 employees of Boeing. Give them this test. If you have the antibodies, you get an immunity passport. You're back in the factory. You're back at Boeing. You're on the floor. You're building airplanes. You don't have the antibodies, and you are out. You're not allowed to come back to work, uh, and you are on the outside looking in until the whole thing uh, ties down enough to where you can go back to work. Um, I'll let you respond and react to it first because I've been thinking about this ever since I read this thing. It is bonkers. Yeah, well, what's kind of interesting about this, and, and we haven't seen anyone talk about this, is people are going to pass away, whether it's of COVID-19 or something else. Humanity is, is that's, that, that's just part of the human condition, that, that we are going to die and we're going to pass away. And I wonder, with COVID-19, we, see that we saw this happen in China. Uh, China began to say, hey, the science looks good here. It looks like uh, any new cases are cases that are coming in from somewhere else. But as far as what's happening here in China, there's been no new cases for a day or two days or three days. And they felt like once they could string some days together, then maybe they could string some weeks together and some months together. I think the hard thing with COVID-19 is, number one, we don't know if it is going to die out when the weather gets much hotter. Uh, it seems to be doing rather well in other parts of the world where it already has gotten hotter. Uh, and then the other thing that we don't know, because it's so contagious, right? Because you just talked about wearing this mask. It's something that you can pick up by touching. And then it's also something that you can pick up with droplets or aerosol that you were referring to, Ron, that you can pick up. Uh, just by walking by where someone was just having a conversation uh, and possibly the, the, those droplets came out. People, when, when, when we go back, when we go back, uh, there is a strong possibility that in the fall, 
that this comes storming back. And Bill Gates has talked about the fact that really uh, it doesn't matter how hard private industry works on this. He really thinks we're probably 18 months out to a vaccine. He said, even if you could shorten it to a year, uh, that would be difficult to do because there's not enough time to do the science uh, and figure, there's not enough time to do the science and figure out uh, what the cost is going to be and what the side effects are going to be and to find out if a vaccine, for instance, uh, uh, really works. So as far as immunity goes, um, you know, I heard some people talking the other day. They just said, you know what? I'm young enough. I'm just going to go out and touch everything I can, see if I can get it, build an immunity to it, and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. And the problem with that is we are beginning to see COVID-19 patients on ventilators that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. So it appears that even though this particular virus really picks on the old, and it also picks on uh, folks that have a compromised immune system, uh, it's also attacking people that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And as I read before, we just heard from a doctor's office that said, hey, you know, we're treating kids here. So I think we have to prepare ourselves. If we are feel like in the next two weeks or two months, we're going to go back into the work workflow and the work uh, and, and back to our jobs and our buildings and everything else. There has to be some kind of new normal in the way that we communicate with each other until we have this vaccine uh, figured out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And we probably both also know people that most likely had it. I was talking to a friend of mine that was very sick. It's like, they wouldn't test me. Um, a younger person, Hmm. Like if you if you if you get starting to where you can't breathe, come back to the hospital. But they didn't they didn't test. Hmm. So it's like they thought I probably had it. It was the worst flu I've ever had in my life. Hmm. But I wasn't tested, so it doesn't go in that list of confirmed cases. Hmm. So like, what what do you do about that? And this is a person that works in the food industry. Uh, obviously, wasn't going into into the, the the restaurant they worked at was closed down. But it's like, okay, well, there's a person that most likely had it. Uh, they wouldn't went to the doctor, wouldn't test, and so yeah, if that person was able to get some sort of indicator, like yes, it was. You've now recovered. You have the antibodies. Then yeah, send that person back into the workforce. I, I think that that might need to be an idea that we explore because having everybody on lockdown for an extended period of time, um, I just think is untenable. And, and to your point, though, tamping it down is also very difficult right now if you think that everything and everyone can, you know, just by touching your credit card to put it into the grocery store machine that there's a possibility that you get it um like that anxiety level is just very very undoable the thing that always surprises me i mean and i know we've stretched a little long in this segment virtually every grocery store worker everybody at home depot everybody that's delivering amazon prime packages that shows up at my building every day none of them are wearing masks i have not seen anyone in a store uh, that's an employee of the store wearing. I've seen them wear gloves, but I'm not seeing them wear any masks. Well, I saw. I, I, I. Not to cut you off there. I, I talked to someone that works in a national chain grocery store, 
And the grocery store wouldn't allow people to wear masks because they said, you're creating fear when our guests walk through the front door. Since the CDC came out with that regulation now, or that suggestion, now this big box store has told their employees, yeah, go for it. Um, go ahead and throw, some, throw a mask on, throw some gloves on, uh, some foot protection, whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, so they've been encouraged to do that now. And again, that, that's my fear that we're going to end up with even a greater surge of masks for, uh, for the medical community and police and fire and all that. So don't forget, you can make a mask out of a T-shirt. You can go online and make a mask that way. You can also make a mask out of a diaper. Uh, in fact, UW Medical Center at Valley, if you go on their, their website, uh, they will teach you how to make a mask out of a diaper. So maybe you can make one for yourself and uh, you can make one for a first responder too. So would you wear a diaper diaper mask? If that's all I had. Yeah. I actually took the mask that I have and I wiped it off with my, you know, kills 99.9% solution that loops for the bathroom. So it's drying out right now so I can reuse it. All right. Sounds good. Hey, uh, we come back. Uh, Danny Westneat had a pretty interesting story in the Seattle Times today, didn't he, Ron? Absolutely. It's um, a who's essential and who's not and sort of the hypocrisy of what's going on in our country right now. Yeah. Also, Don of the Ron and Don has written some COVID-19 uh, poetry. So I'm going to share that with you next. The Ron and Don Show, episode number 87, brought to you live from the Les Schwab Studios. Thanks for listening, you guys. And we're sorry it's a little chunky. And we're not on our normal microphones, but we are just socially distancing with hopefully the rest of the world, right? Yeah. Ron and Don, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. All right, you guys, episode number 87 of the Ron and Don Show is promised. I will read some COVID-19 poetry uh, to you coming up I, here. I was thinking while we were just paused, what rhymes with COVID? COVID, <laughs> Novid, Bovid, COVID. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, Danny Westney, that the he had an article today about what's essential, who's not essential. This was kind of interesting, wasn't it? So yeah, there's a very interesting story from uh, Danny Westney in the Seattle Times, and you can find it, of course, on, on their website, where he talks about the irony and the hypocrisy of the fact that fruit and vegetable pickers in Eastern Washington are now deemed essential employees, and in fact, have been given paperwork and letters to say as much. When it wasn't very long ago that a, a pretty good chunk of Americans wanted these folks deported, they wanted a wall built along the southern border, there's still a lot of people that feel that way. And so he just talks about the, you know, just a, as a think piece on that, where it's like, isn't this interesting that now we're asking these folks to put themselves in harm's way, be out in the community, be picking fruits and vegetables um, for very low wages so that everybody can have the food security that we all crave right now. And you've, in fact, given them documentation <laughs> so uh, to do so, and they're illegal immigrants. I, I just found it really fascinating. And, and you see this type of hypocrisy all over the political spectrum right now in an election year, where yeah. you, you'll have people, everybody gets free money, 1200 bucks to everybody. Uh, and when it was like, wait a minute, how does that work? So, like, all of these things... Uh, have just been fascinating to watch and observe and to see what people really believe when a crisis is among us. And I think I think a lot about the people that are working the food chain right now and are making sure that when you and I go to the store that 
we still like I bought some apples. And I was like, this is amazing that during COVID-19, I can go to the store and find a fresh apple and to buy that and take it home and eat it. Um, it's, it's, I'm astonished by the bravery. It's those little bravery moments of everyone working along that chain from the truck driver to the grocery store employee, to the illegal immigrant who's now documented in some way being an essential worker in Eastern Washington. I'm, I'm impressed and appreciative of every single person along that chain. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about working with the Refugee Artist Initiative and our good friend Ming Ming uh, and making, making masks for folks. In fact, she just sent me a note. She said, hey, Don, we just got requests for both face shields and masks from the UW Clinic uh, and also Providence ER, ER down at Olympia. Would you be willing to drive to Olympia to drop off these masks? And, uh, and I certainly would. I, I just want to encourage people, if, if you have an extra mask or if you're going to make a T-shirt mask, uh, I took five extra masks into the grocery store with me last night. And there's a dad in my grocery store that works uh, that waits on me all the time. He has a little four-year-old girl that he's worried about. Uh, and we've been making some masks for kids right now. So I dropped off a mask for him and for his child. And then also uh, just for some of those grocery workers that are on the front lines. And in my grocery store, there are a lot of young kids, you know, they go to the University of Washington uh, and and they work their butts off and they work in very close uh, conditions. And I think it's the same for people out there that run to your point all along the food chain, uh, just the real risk that they are taking to make sure that both you and I have food on our food on our plate tonight. So if you have the ability to, to share a mask, I would just encourage people, uh, to try to do so. So, uh, it's kind of interesting. I gave my son a mask, uh, the other day and, um, and we talked about because he wanted to know why he would wear a mask and why why would why why he in particular would, would wear a mask. And so the, here's my poetry that I wrote about the mask. Are you ready? Yes, I can't wait. All right. Uh, anyway, I, I just wrote this on my Facebook page. I said, you know, I'm not a great poet, uh, but my son had a few questions for me, uh, and this is how I answered. Uh, and in our private moments, he still calls me daddy. He doesn't do that. Uh, in front of his friends anymore. Uh, He says, uh, so this is called Daddy, uh, Why Do You Wear a Mask? Uh, Daddy, Daddy, why do you wear a mask? And why do I wear a mask, you ask? Yes, why do you wear a mask? Well, I wear it for my friend and firefighter, Captain Jim Brown. He has stage four cancer, and this virus could take him down. I wear it for my friend and my mentor, Gary Vero. We call him number 55. And though he has stage four cancer, he is still very much alive. I wear it for dear Miss Emily, who lives next door. She's fighting cancer too, but she's tough to her core. And I wear it for you, my son, because you struggled with your health when you were young, but now that is done and it's time to have some fun. And then he asked, Daddy, Daddy, well, why can't we just hug? And I answer, it's because of love, Bubba. Uh, It's because of love. So that has to be the hardest thing for me right now, because as I have gone into some hospitals and I've dropped these masks off, I had to make a really hard decision to socially distance myself from my son. So right now I'm not hugging him. I'm not holding him. Um, 
I'm not embracing him and, and I'm a hugger and so is he. Uh, and I can imagine for a lot of the parents that are listening out there right now, uh, especially for the healthcare workers, um, I, hmm. I dropped some masks off uh, from the Refugee Artists Initiative uh, last Friday. I had three different stops, and one was over in West Seattle. And so this healthcare worker said, could I meet you on the corner? Um, because our hospital is still abiding by some of the old rules of not being able to drop things off from, from folk. And I asked her what it was like because uh, she was married and she's in the healthcare field and she comes in contact with people that have COVID-19 and um, she just goes home and she sleeps in her basement and she has separated herself from her children. And I just, I wonder what it's like uh, to go and feel like you don't have the proper equipment. And we see this worldwide right now. And you're on the front lines of this epidemic. And then because we can't readily test people, you go home and you just have to act as if you have COVID-19. And that's why she has quarantined herself in the basement from her husband and from her little kids. I talked to another nurse uh, the other day that pulls into her garage at night and uh, she sleeps in her car and she has separated herself uh, from her family. So she sleeps out in the garage because she doesn't know um, if she has COVID-19 or not. So I think a lot, a lot about um, these workers on the front line. And I just want to encourage you all, if you have a chance uh, to visit us on our Facebook page, it's Ron, Ron Upshaw and Don O'Neill. There you'll see all the information for the Refugee Artist Initiative. And I would encourage you just to give. Um, when Ming Ming just sent me this note about face shields and these face masks for the University of Washington and down at Olympia and all that, um, she's just doing that and we don't have any of that paid for. I think we've raised 21000 on GoFundMe so far, but the orders are now. Uh, I mean, she has a big order that just came from a, uh, a police agency of 3000 masks. So, um, so it's very, very, it's very, very busy. So Ron, I think I've, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at tonight. And I, and I really feel, um, I really feel like if we all buckle up for these next two weeks and really do our best to not be motivated by fear uh, but just to embrace what's happening, you, uh, you can't stop it uh, from happening. So just to embrace what's happening and, um, and see what we can learn together and really just make sure that we're taking care of each other. So you got any uh, final thoughts? Episode 87? Your poem wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love that. Okay. Hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by. He's Ron. I'm Don. He's live from the Les Schwab Studios on South Lake Union. And I am uh, hanging out on Queen Anne Mountain tonight. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you for supporting us.
Uh, and I know a lot of you, you know that we're real estate agents and brokers. Um, and I know a lot of you have some questions and, and there's a lot of fear when it comes to, to a lot of things right now. So if you need some help, just reach out to us. And we can't do a Ron and Don sit down with you right now, but we could jump online together and we could all pull out a cup of coffee and we could have a chat. So if you want to do that, reach out to Ron, Ron at windermere.com, or you can reach out to me, Don O'Neill at windermere.com. Everything is up, you guys, at ronanddon.com. All right, that's episode 87. You keep your head up, your shoulders back. And uh, thanks to all the nurses out there sleeping in garages and basements and uh, going to work every single day, specifically in folks in the medical community, uh, just getting it done. So, all right, we'll see you for uh, episode 88 coming up. It's Ron and Don, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.